I invite you to turn in God's holy word to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Hope to read 1 Samuel 17 this morning now and then 1 Samuel 18 in our evening worship service and to focus today upon the name of the Lord. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. We'll read the explanation of the Heidelberg Catechism in a moment. But in 1 Samuel 17, we come to this well-known Bible story. It's actually quite lengthy, as you'll notice, as it's written out. But it follows chapter 16, where David, the youngest of the sons of Jesse, has been anointed with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord has come upon him to be the next king of Israel, though he goes back, apparently, to taking care of the sheep. And then he's called into Saul's service to play the harp, and then we pick it up at 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David is also again with the sheep, it seems. First Samuel 17, verse 1, the word of the Lord. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered to Sokah, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokah and Azekah and Ephes to Mim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and will give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?' 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So far God's word. If you turn to our confession in the Heidelberg Catechism and the smaller forms and prayers book before you, to page 244. We're studying there the Ten Commandments. We've come to the Third Commandment, as we said. It's Lord's Day 36, page 244. I'll invite you to answer with me after I ask the question. Question 99. What is God's will for us in the Third Commandment? that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. 
Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed, no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Let's bow before our Lord and ask for his help. Gracious God above, we do bow to ask that you would come and minister your word to us through Christ Jesus and by his spirit. And we pray that we'd see the great and mighty things that you have done and that we'd be led to recognize our own sin against your holy name and to revere it more. We pray you would teach us of your holiness today and that you grant us hearts in Christ to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ Jesus and Boys and Girls of Christ Church, it's quite a story, this story of David and Goliath. David took a stand for the honor of the Lord's name. David realized that God's name is special, and it's not to be used in an unholy way. We're looking today at the third commandment, which says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that means, boys and girls, that we shouldn't empty God's name of its meaning. We shouldn't treat God's name as if it wasn't special. We shouldn't treat the weighty name of God, which is like a pile of gold, and treat it like a light name, as if it were a feather. It is a holy name, a special name, an exalted name, and so when we use this name, we are to use it with fear and reverence. In this story, David was utterly consumed with the significance of God's name. We might ask, where did David learn to value God's name so greatly? And we hope the answer is from his parents, from mom and dad who, who instructed him, and from the church that taught him and catechized him in the meaning of the third commandment and set for him an example of how to use the name of the Lord. Now, we're about the business of God's name this morning. We've already sung it. We've prayed it. We've, we, we've called upon it together. We could already ask, have we used it thoughtlessly? Have we used it irreverently? Have we sung about God but dreamt of something else? Have we prayed to God but accused God in our hearts of being unjust or unkind? Have we imagined a God who doesn't hear our cries when he says he does? Then we've misused the name of the Lord. But the name of the Lord is not just a word. It's not just the name Lord or Jehovah or Holy One or Jesus. In the Bible, name means everything God has revealed to us about himself. God's name is everything he has revealed to us about himself. You know, if you get to know somebody, you have to know their name, of course, but that's just the beginning. Pretty soon as you get to know them, there's a whole world connected with that word. When you hear their name, it means so much. Well, God has revealed himself and all that he's made and his daily providence and care for creation and all the works he did and the, and the parting of the Red Sea and the raising of Jesus from the dead and, and everything that he said about himself in this book. This is all God's name and it's to be treated with reverence. Don't take my name lightly. I won't hold him guiltless who misuses my name, God says. 
So let's look at that this morning. First of all, let's consider the misuse of God's name. And then secondly, the jealousy for God's name. And then third, the triumph of God's name. Those three points this morning. Well, there's a serious misuse of God's name in 1 Samuel 17, both by Goliath and by King Saul. Boys and girls, Goliath was not a man of Israel. Goliath was not a believer. Goliath did not belong to the church. He was a Philistine. He had different gods that he worshipped. And in the story, the Philistines who lived nearby Israel have invaded the land of Israel. And they've lined up in battle against the army of Israel. And the army of the Philistines are encamped on one hill, and the army of Israel has lined up on the other hill, a valley's between them, and there's a standoff here. And Israel's being beat up every day. Not physically, but with the words of this great champion, Goliath, the great warrior of the Philistines. A decorated man of war, a man of great size, nine and a half feet tall, covered from head to foot with armor, weighing 126 pounds, a spear that has a head that weighs by itself 15 pounds. He is a, a hero, a giant figure of a man that nobody could defeat. And with his imposing size and his verbal threats, he's terrorizing the army of Israel. And he's, he said, look, we're going to fight. You send out a man to fight me. If I beat up on him, you become our servants. If he beats up on me, we become your servants. And we're going to settle this thing this way. It was going to be a, a war by a representative But in all of this, there was the thought that by way of battle, we determine whose gods are greater, whose gods are bigger. This guy, Goliath, comes out and defies the armies of the living God. It's interesting that in this chapter, the word defy or some variation of it is used six times. It's what this whole chapter is about, the name of God attached to the army of God, is being defied, being insulted, being mocked by Goliath. See, Goliath understood what we sometimes forget, that God's name is attached to our lives. This morning we've seen God's name attached to Elani and to Alan, to two covenant children, by way of baptism. They're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Goliath understands this. Goliath knows that the Israelites are circumcised. They regard him as the uncircumcised. He worships Dagon, and these gods, they worship Jehovah. It's very clear to everybody what's going on here. And he mocks the God of Israel, as the world does. Remember later on in Israel's history, that that story of the Assyrians and King Sennacherib, who comes up against uh, Jerusalem, after they've sacked the northern tribes, they come against Jerusalem, and Sennacherib sends his men to say, don't you think that Jehovah's going to rescue you? The gods of the nations haven't rescued them from my hands. Your God's no different. Remember that? But then the word of the Lord came through Isaiah, saying, whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. And the Lord tells his people, I'll take care of him. Sennacherib goes running home. And while he's in the temple of his own God, you'd think it'd be the safest place on earth for him. Two of his sons kill him. 
And God says, what did you say about my name? Who is your God? The world blasphemes the name of God. But what about the church? What does the church do here as Goliath makes these boasts and taunts? Well, simply put, they sit on their hands. They're quivering. They're afraid. We say, well, at least King Saul will go to battle, right? King Saul, the people's choice, the man who's experienced in war, who stands ahead above all the rest, who has all the the weaponry, who has the calling and the office of king. Surely he'll defend the Lord's name, but not even King Saul. Soldiers quiver in fear, and Saul just tries to offer rewards and enticements to find a soldier who will fight. But in all of this, it's a sad case. The Spirit of God has left King Saul. Saul has lost a zeal for the Lord's name, and and now it's infectious. He hampers the faith of the whole church. And we see here what life is like when God's people don't live in vibrant fellowship with the Lord, and when they don't have a king to lead them in zeal for the Lord. We see what we are here apart from Jesus Christ. In this story, we, we see what we are, brothers and sisters, apart from Christ and his spirit in our hearts. We, we quiver in fear as the word blasphemes, as the world blasphemes the name of our God. Faith shrinks back. And all we're left to do is worry about our own names, protecting our own names. We get so angry at times when our name is misused. How dare anybody say anything against my name? And then we sit idly by why God's name. Is mocked. There's lots of ways God's name can be dishonored in our lives. The Old Testament warned about many things. It, it warned about false prophecy. That's a way to dishonor God's name. It warned about sorcery, trying to use God's name to manipulate power. It warned about false oaths. In Malachi 1, the Lord accuses the priests of despising his name because they offer defiled sacrifices. They bring the blind and the lame animals. In Jeremiah 7, God accuses his people of doing this evil in his sight. Quote, they have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. Bring their idols into my temple that has my name written on it. There are many ways in which God's name can be treated in a careless and irreverent way. When we misuse scripture, carelessly ignoring the context or where the verse is found. Or when we say things like, the Lord led me to do this, when actually we're following the path of our own sinful desires. We transgress the third commandment when we use God's name as a mere expression of surprise or anger. People say, oh my God. Or when people call down God's wrath on someone. We misuse God's name by rash and foolish oaths. Or by saying, I swear, I swear, I swear, in unnecessary and unprofitable ways. Or when we perjure ourselves by lying under oath. We misuse God's name through vain repetitions. If we, in our prayers, just repeat God's names over and over as filler. Or with the thought that by using the names incessantly, we will control God's power. We make light of God's name when we use irreverent jokes. Do that sometimes. Be careful as those who have the book and are used to these stories. Ministers have to be careful. I said something recently appealing to the sheep and the goats, and I thought afterwards that was probably a 
irreverent use, or at least a frivolous use of God's Word. We need to be careful with the Word of the Lord. We misuse God's name when, as parents, we allow our children to pray in irreverent ways, and we classify that as cute, instead of teaching them the weightiness of God's name. God cares. God hears. I was thinking this week about a high school episode for me when the whole class was quietly working at their desk and our teacher was up front at her desk and I had noticed one of our buddies was missing from the class and I suspected he'd been removed for discipline reasons or something. So I, I turned around to my buddy and whispered, hey, you should ask Mrs. Daniels where so-and-so is. He said, no. And she, from the front of the room, she says, I heard my name being used <laughs> he burst out laughing and I was caught, but how's that possible from the front of the room? But we have a keen ear for our names, don't we? We catch that when our name is used. Do we catch it when God's name is used? We'd be surprised to find out he's listening. And it's not just words in which we misuse God's name, but since the name of Christ is written upon us and we are Christians... Everything we do is a use of God's name. Every action we take is a use of the name of the Lord. We're either lifting up that name or we're dragging it through the mud in our behavior. And so we should ask God this morning for his spirit to convict us of the ways that we have robbed his name of glory and honor. We can rob that name of honor when we teach our children to worry and fret by our anxiety, instead of teaching them to come to the Lord and cast our cares upon him. Then you see, we're emptying the name of power in their eyes and their mind. Or when we as a father or mother get angry and irritated, then we're saying to our children, this is what your heavenly father is like. That's a misrepresentation of God's name. We misrepresent God's name when we can't take a stand at work for what is ethical and right. We're too afraid. If we cower in fear, we misrepresent God's name. The Lord calls us to know our sin, to realize that we all have done this. We do it. We need to be convicted. Say, Lord, show me where I have not valued your name. I'm so worried about my name, but what about the holy name of God? Well, the good news this morning is that God's jealous for his name, and he makes us jealous. Let's think of that secondly, the jealousy for God's name. Here's Israel getting beat up by the words of Goliath and into this misery of serving under a king of their choice. The great king Saul comes the little shepherd boy, God's choice, David. David must have wondered after he was anointed how he would ever come to become king in Israel. And now the Lord's providence is at work in this marvelous way. Jesse sends his son to the battle scene to bring some food and to check on things. And David, as he comes, happens to hear now these boasts of Goliath. And it's been going on for 40 days. And 40 days in the Bible often represents the complete period of testing. Israel was tested for 40 years. Jesus was tested for 40 days in the wilderness. Israel's been tested for 40 days in the valley, and they have completely failed the test. Almost six weeks for an Israelite to find the courage to shut the mouth of Goliath, and no one is found, not even Saul. 
Israel is defeated. But just at this moment of our utter defeat comes the king of God's choice, David the anointed. And when David hears the words of Goliath, he is horrified. Someone suggested this might be the first time in David's life that he ever heard God's name outrightly blasphemed. If he lived in Israel, and we know the Israelites were supposed to be stoned if they blasphemed God's name, so you didn't have a very long life to stick around if you were a blasphemer. Maybe David never heard anyone do this to God's name before. He is horrified. And then at verse 26, we have, I think, the first instance in the Bible where David speaks. The first recorded words of David in the scripture. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David understands it perfectly. David knows exactly what's going on here. That as Goliath mocks the army of Israel, he is mocking their God. He's saying, look, at your God must be worthless. You can't, you can't find anyone who wants to come fight me? Is your God so pathetic, Israel? David sees the issue. David has good theology. He brings it to bear upon the situation. And then he says to King Saul, let no one's heart fail because of this Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And he marches out without any armor, with his staff, with a sling, with some stones. And David doesn't look like much at all, does he? In fact, Goliath thinks it's insulting to him that they send out David. What are you going to do, hit me with your stick? Am I a dog? He curses David by the names of his gods. But then this tremendous testimony of David, verses 45 and 46, David says to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It's all about the glory of God's name. David sees it so clearly. It's all about the glory and honor of God's name. And here now the the future king of Israel is being revealed. How do you recognize the future king of Israel? The answer is you find him him in, in royal robes. Not the royal robes of, of purple cloth and ornamentation, but in the robes of zeal for the name of the Lord. That's how you recognize the true king. And I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, have you recognized the true king? Have you recognized the one clothed in zeal for the glory of God? The one who came from heaven, who knows the worth of God's name, who witnessed Seraphim covering themselves and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the true and eternal Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has revealed to us zeal for the holiness of God's name in lots of ways. 
When Jesus got angry with the Pharisees because they manipulated God's word and tried to lead the people into a works righteousness, Christ's anger was a revelation of the holiness of God's name. When Jesus came to the temple and found God's house, where God's name was, being used as a den of robbers, and he he went to work cleaning it out, Christ was showing zeal for the Lord's name. In John 17, 6, he prays to his Father, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. But you know where Christ most fully revealed the honor of God's name? He did that at the cross. So holy is God's name that rather than to leave our sin unpunished, he gave his own son to bear the curse upon us for having blasphemed God's name. So holy is God's name that Christ bore the guilt of our belittling of God's name in order to reconcile us to God. Jesus' painful death was the revelation of the worth of the name of God. And Christ has secured for us the Holy Spirit by that saving death. And Christ, by that Spirit, is teaching us to pray, Hallowed be thy name. Lord, let your name be glorified in my heart, in my life, in all of this world. Let your name be exalted everywhere. Things have been changed in us, and things are being changed in us daily, right? The name of God, by the Spirit of God, is being increasingly more glorious in our eyes and in our hearts. And you notice in 1 Samuel 17, when, when David stands for God's name and defeats Goliath, what happens? The cowering army rises up shouting and pursues the Philistines. When Christ takes off Satan's head at the cross... The church rises up shouting and follows after their captain. We're raised up to see the glory of our king. The catechism says that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths. So Christ is teaching us to be careful how we use that name of God. Nor share in such horrible sins of being silent bystanders. Christ is teaching us to stand for the name of the Lord and not just looking for an opportunity to tell our coworker, hey, when you use the name of Jesus that way, it's offensive to him, but to tell our coworker the value of that name. That name that you treat so lightly is the only name that can save you. Your problem with your marriage, your problem with your addiction your problem with your anger, it is the only name that can bring you to God. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Where is God's spirit at work in you today? to teach you to be more jealous for this name. We're learning, aren't we? We're learning to value the name of the Lord. Maybe it's in our marriage. We sit here today and we think, you know, it's, it's really been about me this week. It's been about my name, my rights in marriage. The thing that occupied my mind and motivated my behavior is not, Lord, I want your name to be exalted in my marriage. But Lord, teach me that. Or maybe in the midst of singleness, 
We say, the thing that's been on my mind is me, and me, and more me. And when I think, if I long to be married, if I think about marriage, I'm not thinking about it in terms of how can your name be lifted up. I'm thinking about my name. Or maybe it's in worship. That the Spirit is convicting us that we have slept through too many congregational prayers or too many sermons. Or that we've come to worship with so little zeal. Not counting this a tremendous privilege, but a great burden. You see, as the Spirit of Christ goes to work in us, the zeal of Jesus that did a greater thing than David did, of which David is just a type, the zeal of Jesus that brought him to the cross is now the zeal being worked in our hearts, that we love God's name above anything. And that affects especially our worship, doesn't it? That where you worship used to be a burden, it becomes an increasing joy and a delight. Isn't that often our testimony? People wonder why we come to worship, or maybe neighbors especially wonder why you go, why you'd go to worship a second time on, on, on the Lord's Day. Well, crazy people. And we would say, no, but I, I love the name of the Lord. I want to learn more about this name. It's my prize. I, I want more opportunity to call upon it and to worship this name with God's people. This is what Christ's Spirit works in his people, a love of worship. Not a haphazard worship where we show up once in a while, but a longing heart where we say, when can I go and meet with God? The jealousy of God's name that David showed was actually the spirit of Christ in David's heart. And now that spirit of Christ has been manifested in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and that spirit is now poured out in God's people, training us to be more jealous, more zealous for the Lord's cause. Notice finally then the triumph of God's name. We are not serving a Losing proposition here. We're not propping up a lousy name, but the whole of history, from the creation story to the coming of Christ, is all about the name of God. David goes running to meet the Philistine. We read in verse 49 that David pulls out a stone, he slings it, knocks Goliath dead. David takes his sword and cuts off his head. And notice that earlier in 1 Samuel, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon, the Philistine god, Dagon fell over and his head broke off. He worshipped. He fell down before the Ark. And the psalmist says that you become like the thing you worship. And here we have a great illustration of it, don't we? Goliath, who worshipped Dagon, ends up like Dagon, missing a head. And there's the victory of the Lord through David. There is a God in Israel. It's just been revealed to Israel and to all the Philistines. But the greatest victory, as I said, is the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. Philippians 2, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
The taunts have changed now, right? Now the Apostle Paul can say to that last enemy, death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a mighty victory. What a triumphant name. The name of our Lord God will not fail. We're not trying to hold on to a a fading name, a losing name. This is the name that will encompass the heavens and the earth and be recognized by everyone. Every knee will bow before this name. We need not be ashamed of it. And the evidence that we are the people of God and that we are the children of royalty is now that we're clothed in a zeal for the glory of God. So Gabriel and Delia were willing this morning to come and profess the name of the Lord because it's not the Christian's shame but the Christian's joy. And we go forward in the week, right, seeking to honor that name. We love the name of our Lord and King. In this name there is life and there is forgiveness. There is help for hard marriages. In this name there is grace to train children. There is grace to live a pure life, married or single. There is grace to go to work with the right attitude. There's grace to hold on to the promises of God. This is a powerful name. And by the way, we don't just misuse God's name when we use the name wrongly. We misuse God's name when we don't use it at all. Because this name has been given to us by God. And God has said, call upon my name. 1 Samuel 17 is not a lesson in human courage. And wouldn't you all just buck up and get some courage, please? It's not what it's about. 1 Samuel 17 is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of our failure apart from Christ in the army of Israel, but it's the revelation of our salvation in Christ revealed through David. In Christ, the name is triumphant, and in Christ we find our greatest delight in this name. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name, but praise be to God, that though we have often misused his name, there is forgiveness through the name of Jesus. Is that your hope this morning? Your only hope when you stand before God. In all the careless ways you've used God's name or left it unused, is your one hope that you know the name Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for the name of our God revealed to us, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our great Savior, our hero. We thank you for your rescue. Forgive us, O God, we pray, for being so much more worried about our own names than your names.